Well, good morning. My name is Daniel Harmon. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, where I am uh, completing my studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm here with my son, Wyatt. We made the drive over yesterday. Uh, my wife is home with his two younger sisters and brother, and uh, had, th- had uh, dinner with three of your elders last night. They're a great host, great group of guys. Enjoyed that. And uh, Wyatt and I are just so grateful to be here this morning, worshiping with you and grateful uh, to preach the word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would incline our hearts to your instruction, that we would find our wills bent to yours, and that we would leave here having seen more of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Have you ever been summoned like that? Have you ever been called upon to remain faithful no matter what? Well, that's how the aging Apostle Paul, who is awaiting imminent death in a Roman jail, that's how he writes to his brother Timothy, who was in Ephesus. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn there. I want to say here at the outset, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, may we too be found faithful in the life circumstances and ministries that God has placed us. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. It's not addressed to a church, but to an individual. Uh, strictly speaking, it wasn't prepared to be read aloud to a congregation, but it's, it's just written to Timothy, actually. Uh, but praise the Lord that we have it, because this is the kind of conversation that you'd want to overhear. Just to be a silent observer. Uh, you have an old, wise man giving his farewell address to his young apprentice. He's passing the torch. The solemnity of the words and the very evident love that's passing between the two of them is something I'm sure we would all like to experience one day. But it's not just any old man. This is Paul, and this is the end. He is at the end of his ministry. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 is probably one of the most painful, heart-wrenching chapters in the entire New Testament. So let's read the passage. I'm going to Start in verse 1, read through verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can find the passage we're going to be looking at this morning on page 167 in one of the pew Bibles in front of you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Paul is in a horrible place. Scholars think he's in the Mamertine prison. I've actually been there. It's in Rome. It's a single, small, um, underground cell. Only one man can, can fit down there. You can actually go visit it today. Um, but if you look back in chapter 1, we get some insight. Verse 16, uh, Paul talks about this guy, Anisiphorus. And he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. So Paul is in chains. He is bound as a criminal. And he's in this vast city of Rome. And he's difficult to find. But this guy, Anisiphorus, he finds him. He searches for him diligently. And Paul is grateful for that. But can you imagine the sense of isolation that Paul must have felt? He's lonely. He's been abandoned by most of his friends for fear of persecution. Just think how painful that would be, the desertion of your friends at the end of your life. He tells Timothy to bring him his coat. He's likely cold. We know that winter is coming. He's been through one preliminary hearing already. But he doesn't expect a rescue other than the one that will take him home to be with the Lord. He says in chapter 4, verse 6, the time of my departure has come. So his execution will be soon. So from the blinding light of the Damascus road to a dark cell underground in Rome, Paul is at the end of his ministry. So here in chapter 4, in his concluding remarks, what is he going to say? Don't you want to just lean in and find out? Well, three main things you see listed there on, on your, uh, your bulletin. Uh, the three things that Paul emphasizes in chapter 4 that I want to point out. Number one, the charge to preach the word. Number two, the reality of opposition. And number three, the faithfulness of the Lord. So first, the charge to preach the word. Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus as a pastor and apostolic messenger. The church is plagued with false teaching. We see in both letters to Timothy how Paul describes this false teaching. He's very descriptive in his language. I'll, I'll give you an example of how he describes it. He calls it irreverent babble, foolish, ignorant controversies, vain discussion, silly myths that breed quarrels about words. So that's the false teaching. Note what Paul says, starting in verse 2, what the corrective response should be to such false teaching. It's pretty simple. Preach the word. That's what he lays down to Timothy. 
This is to be Timothy's primary task as a pastor, faithfully wielding the sword of the Spirit, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Right at the end of chapter 3, you see that the word to be preached is the Scripture breathed out by God in verse 16. Verse 15, just before it says, These sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the word to be preached is fundamentally the gospel. And all of Scripture points to this. The false teaching, on the other hand, is useless and leads to ungodliness, but God's word is profitable and leads to salvation. So Timothy is charged to preach it. And Paul lays this charge on Timothy with the greatest gravity. If you look at verse 1, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll actually reread that. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. So this commission comes in the very presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who are ever-present witnesses, and they are this morning, right now as well. And this assignment comes in view of certain unshakable realities, the present reign of King Jesus and his future return as judge. So Timothy's charge, it comes with the utmost seriousness. His work has eternal significance. Paul tells him to fulfill his ministry with eternity always in mind, unlike this guy Demas, who we've just read about, who in verse 10 deserted Paul because he was in love with this present world. But Timothy must execute his calling with his eyes fixed on Christ and his kingdom yet to come. He's told to be ready to preach in season and out of season, whether it's convenient or not. In all circumstances, he's to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. This is a full-orbed ministry. Instruction, correction, encouragement, all are required. And Paul tells him that this ministry of the Word will require patience. The Word has to be taught. There is a necessary bearing with people of steadily plodding along, teaching, rebuking, exhorting as you preach the Word. Again, this work is the pastor's primary task. And note that Paul doesn't make any strict delineation between discipleship and evangelism, as we might often do um, in evangelical circles today. But, but he's to preach the Word and do the work of an evangelist in verse 5. So the gospel is the basis for both. So taken together, it comes across crystal clear that faithful gospel ministry involves opening up your mouth. There is a message that has to be articulated and taught and explained to people. This really comes out in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So there is a message that has to be proclaimed, taught, explained to people so they can hear it. That sounds simple, but I think we often miss it. The gospel has to be explained to people. What about you? Who are you talking to? Who are you teaching? Who has heard the gospel from your lips? That's something to consider. You might say, well, this is a charge to Timothy. He, he's a pastor. He's the right-hand man to an apostle. Uh, strictly speaking, this is not directed to me. But not so fast. Uh, you can't forget chapter 2, verse 2, which just might be the theme verse of the entire book. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what Paul had to share with Timothy wasn't only for him. There were many witnesses who heard it too. And this message was to be entrusted to others who could entrust it to others who could entrust it to others. So brothers and sisters, you are a part of this ancient chain of discipleship. This charge is laid on you too. Remember that God has good works prepared in advance for us to walk in. And I guarantee that some of those good works involve making the gospel known to your coworkers and your friends and your family members. Some of those good works involve making disciples. So if you're older in the faith, then you're called to make known your knowledge of Scripture to those who are younger in the faith. That's what 2 Timothy 2.2 is all about. Preach the word. And if I haven't convinced you yet, I have two other arguments for why this applies to all of us, not just Timothy. If you jump down to verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And here's the key phrase. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So a life of faithfulness and the hope of future reward should mark all those who belong to Christ. So this isn't just for those who are in vocational ministry. If you look at chapter 2, verse 20, let me read that. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Are you ready for every good work? Paul says, be ready. This applies to all of us. In season and out of season, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So women, you're at the hair salon. You're getting your hair done. Ask the lady what she thinks about spiritual things. You could say, if you don't mind me asking, what's your spiritual background? Uh, Did you grow up in a religious home? How have your, your views on God changed since then? These are just simple questions, and people love to talk about themselves, right? So you see what the Lord will do. Strike up a conversation. When you're at church, when you're at a church gathering, and, and this applies to everybody, walk across the room and be kind. Get to know somebody who you don't know all that well. Ask them what the Lord is teaching them. Ask them, hey, is there, is there a way I could be praying for you? And next time you see that person at church, ask them, hey, how is that going now? These are just simple things you can do. and You will just be amazed at the opportunities the Lord will give you to preach the word and, and disciple and, and invest the gospel into people's lives. Some of us just need to practice enjoying good conversation with other people. You'll be amazed at what the Lord will do and the opportunities he'll give you. Now, I know some of us are, are more of a quiet, reserved type of personality, and that's okay. This stuff isn't only for extroverts. God sees your efforts done in faith, however inconsequential that they may seem to other people. Paul says, I charge you. And that is a refrain. If you read First and Second Timothy, you'll notice that, Paul. But as for you, O man of God, Paul's always pointing his finger, and, and perhaps you feel the pointed finger of the Holy Spirit in your chest this morning to open up your mouth 
more often and make known the gospel to people. There is an undeniable call to action here. You too have a ministry of proclamation. You too have those to whom you must minister. I know you know what I'm talking about. There are God-ordained moments when the Spirit whispers in your ear, open your mouth. And you have to respond to those moments in faith. And I know we've all failed. I have failed. But I'm learning not to. I want to honor the Lord with my life. I want to bear fruit for God, to be useful to the master of the house, to please the one who has enlisted me, to finish the race and keep the faith. And I trust that's what you want as well. But indeed, living such a life comes with a cost. Chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we've looked at the charge to preach the word and now the reality of opposition. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Timothy will not be able to carry out this charge unhindered. The fact is, people have a tendency to go theologically adrift. They get tired of orthodox teachers like Timothy. They, they want to find other teachers that will give their itching ears what they want. It's the nature of people, and frankly, it's the nature of the times that, that we're living in. I don't think when Paul says, for the time is coming, he has in mind something only in the distant future. Uh, because he's already warned Timothy about the false teaching that spreads like gangrene. That's, that's the descriptive language he uses. Chapter 2, verse 17. He even mentions two individuals by name who were responsible for this false teaching. So the opposition to Timothy and his ministry is already upon him. Now, perhaps there is a progressive nature to unbelief and false teaching culminating in the return of Christ. But in another sense, this is just the way it is in the last days. Timothy was living in the last days, and, and so are we. Everything after the resurrection of Christ happens in the last days. Recall chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, and on and on. Regardless, Timothy is called to action where he is, and so are we in these times of difficulty. So verses 3 and 4, they serve as a warning to us in the church. It's our responsibility to make sure that faithful biblical preaching is happening in the pulpit. I remember talking with a couple one time that um, attended a church. Actually, the wife had not attended church for some time, but she was now going with her husband because the church had a new pastor. And she really liked this guy. He was really good up front, charismatic, um, charismatic speaker, you know, really gripping. And uh, I, I just, I'll never forget what she said about this pastor. She said, he makes us laugh. And uh, having, having visited the church, I, I, I just came away saddened because clearly the man could teach, but I, I wasn't convinced that his teaching was sound. Uh, he, could, he could get up and say some things in a compelling manner, but I wasn't convinced he was, he was preaching the word. So I fear for the future of that church. I, I wonder just how many people are flocking 
to that church because there's a man there who makes them laugh. Do you have itching ears? Are you seeking novelty? Has your heart grown tired of faithful biblical exposition? Well, Paul tells us what will happen if that's the case. In verse 4, you will turn away from listening to the truth and you will wander off into myths. So, brothers and sisters, may it not be. Pray that God keeps your heart warm to faithful biblical preaching. Because if you cannot endure sound teaching, you surely won't endure suffering because of it. And suffering will come. God's word does not leave us uh, not knowing what to expect. Our faithful proclamation of the word will meet resistance. That's crystal clear. In verse 14, Paul mentions a certain Alexander who did him great harm, it says, and strongly opposed his message. He tells Timothy, beware of him yourself. Opposition to faithful gospel ministry is a reality. Suffering is to be expected. It will be painful to be faithful. And this is a timely word for us because the cultural winds have shifted in our country. Christianity no longer has the, the privilege and platform that it once had. Increasingly, it seems, Christians who live under the authority of God's word and are simply being faithful to Scripture and how they parent and make decisions and run their businesses, they face social stigmatization. And if the recent actions of the Supreme Court are any measure, including the decision that they are likely to make next month, we are clearly li living in a time when people will not endure sound teaching. In fact, they can't stand it. You have to wonder where all of this will go because there is a trajectory from verbal abuse all the way to physical harm. So be ready, Paul says, in season and out of season. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Here is a call to serious engagement in the mission of God. And I say this tenderly because I've walked this myself, but if you have never experienced negative consequences because you are a follower of Christ, you really have to ask yourself, does anybody even really know what you believe? And, and why don't they know? Perhaps your witness for Christ may simply be unrecognizable. Now, of course, we don't go looking for trouble. That would be foolish. That, that would be immature. But really, do you find yourself ducking opportunities to make clear your devotion to Christ because it might offend someone? I'd say meet with the Lord over that question. Think on it. Because I, I promise you, there are untapped fields of joy as you learn to trust the Lord and stick your neck out, walk out into that beyond your comfort zone, and open up your mouth and make the gospel known to people you will be amazed at what the Lord will do in and through you. Because verse 17, the Lord will stand by you and strengthen you. Now, that's a precious line right there. So we've looked at the charge to preach the word, the reality of opposition, and now, finally and briefly, the faithfulness of the Lord. Remember again where Paul is as he writes. He's in prison. He's awaiting execution. He longs for the comfort of the physical presence of other people. He says twice, do your best to come to me. Verse 9 and 21, do your best to come to me. We read that Demas has deserted him and others are off on assignment. 
Now, we do learn that Luke is with him. If you read it carefully, Luke is with him as he's writing, but apparently even Luke went missing when it was time to stand before Caesar. You see in verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Luke wasn't there. Nobody was. So the pain is real for Paul. Paul is no stone-faced stoic. The pain is real. He spells it out to Timothy. He names Demas. He names Alexander. Particular evil deeds have been done to Paul, and he talks about it. The evil is real. The loneliness is real. And it, in fact, it's striking when you read this paragraph, verses 9 through 18. What comes across as defining Paul's situation there in this cell is not the squalor of the place, or the lack of food or water, or perhaps the mistreatment by the guards. It's the desertion of his friends that pains him the most. That's what comes across as you read this passage. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So please come, Timothy. Please come soon. Demas has left me. He's 700 miles away. I have nobody. I had to stand before Caesar by myself. Would you please come soon? And Paul didn't have to share these details with Timothy, but he did. It makes what he has left to say that much more powerful. Note that phrase. I believe it's in verse 16. Yes, may it not be charged against them, he writes. Now, Paul has heard that before, if you think back. Remember how he stood by watching? He held the coats as people stoned Stephen, and he heard Stephen say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And we know the Lord Jesus himself asked God to forgive those who crucified him, even as they did so. So Paul maintains his trust in the Lord, his mind on gospel truths, and a heart that is willing to forgive even in the midst of severely painful circumstances. Yes, he says, those brothers abandoned me, and I pray that their cowardice and unfaithfulness is not held against them. But here's the main thing, Timothy. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So when friends desert us and the pain and loneliness seem unbearable, the Lord's faithful presence will seem all the more sweeter. I know you know it, but, but it bears repeating. People will fail us. But the Lord remains faithful. The Lord is faithful. He stands by those who belong to him, verse 17. The Lord strengthens those who are weak and dependent on him. He grants strength when your life is on the line to speak the gospel to those who need to hear it. The Lord is faithful. He rescues his children from every evil deed and brings them safely into his heavenly kingdom. Verse 18, the Lord is faithful. Men are fickle, but the Lord is faithful. And I wonder if Paul would have even known this kind of comfort apart from the trials he endured. They, they seem sewn together. Have you noticed that in your own life, the suffering you face, and the comfort of God. They, they come hand in hand. Now, are you certain that the Lord will stand by you? Will he rescue you? Will he bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom? Well, God will be the judge. The Lord is faithful to rescue, and he is faithful to judge. In fact, the Lord as judge comes across three times in this, past, uh, this, this chapter. He is the judge of the living and the dead, verse 1. 
He is the righteous judge who rewards the faithful. Verse 8. He repays the wicked according to their deeds. Verse 14. And if you're, you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, you're, you're not a believer, you might bristle at this mention of God as judge. It might come as a shock to you, but I, I say solemnly that as surely as the sun has come up this morning, there is a coming judgment when God will sift every deed and every thought and every stray word. And you will have to give an account and you will be found wanting and you will be declared guilty and the wrath of God will fall upon you. But friend, there is a way of escape. There is a man who is completely righteous, who was assailed by his enemies and God did not come to his rescue. There is a man who did no wrong but God did not come to his aid. This man willingly gave up his life and was forsaken by God in order to rescue those who hated him. You see, Jesus understands desertion and loneliness. He he lived that. But Jesus not only experienced the desertion of his friends, Jesus experienced the desertion of God. In a sense, on the cross, Jesus stood trial before God. God declared him guilty, condemned him to death, and poured the full extent of his wrath upon his own son. Now, why would God do that? Because Jesus was standing in your place. He took it instead of you. Jesus is the Savior. He is our substitute. Jesus lived the life, you and I, could never live, and he died the death you and I deserve. So if you turn from your, your sin, you, you turn your back on your old way of life, and you trust him as your substitute and savior, you trust him, not your good works. No, no, we do not present our goodness and our righteousness to God as to somehow be reckoned with him, find favor with him, merit his favor. Oh, no, we receive a righteousness from God. That's how we are made right with God, a righteousness in Christ Jesus based on his perfect life and his substitutionary death. Through his death and his resurrection, you can be made right with God. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May I not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, may we too know such words of comfort when we come to our final days. Having opened our mouths for the sake of Christ, having endured suffering, having never forsaken his word, and all the while clinging to him who is faithful. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us to preach this gospel, to speak for you even in the midst of opposition, knowing that you will stand by us and strengthen us and ultimately rescue us from every evil deed. Be glorified in us, O Lord. Amen.